Well, good morning again. Great to be back with you. Um, those of you probably already know, I'm Rich, one of the pastors here. My name is Rich. I got to get. I got. I got to get beyond that. <laughs> um, and um, gosh, it's great to be. Back. We've been going for a couple of weeks, in case you didn't know, uh, to Davy Crockett Country, Tennessee. And um, uh, but we're glad to be back. And I am great. It's great to see you guys. I am really honored. I get to kind of wrap this whole series on hashtag winning. I get to wrap this thing up today with our final eighth beatitude. And uh, it, it, is, it is success radically redefined, as uh, the uh, caption just said. And, uh, and today's a classic example of that. I mean, he starts off, I mean, with, with just the most crazy thing you've ever heard in your life. This is he being our Lord. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Ah, really? Blessed are those, happy are those, blessed are those. Real quick, uh, a little review in case you, in case you weren't here. Um, beatitude comes from a Latin word, beatitudo. Uh, it really came into play in the Bible in around, around the 10th century. Latin Vulgate Bibles translated into Latin, the Bible's translated into Latin, and uh, they use some different words to, to describe each section of the Bible. And in the, Math, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, right at the beginning, they put in this, this Latin word, beatitudo, at the beginning to explain the next 12 verses, which are, we now get our word beatitudes from that, or, or happiness, or, or blessed, or joy. So that's how it all came about. That's how we got the beatitudes. And we come to this one today, verses 10, 11, and 12, and, um, well, we just got to kind of navigate through it carefully. And, and get what's said here so we, don't, so we don't miss anything. And I want to jump right into it. And I want you to see this passage. And then I'm going to show you uh, another passage, the same, the same verses in a, in a sort of a paraphrase of the Bible. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Look what he says here. Matthew chapter 5, Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, really? Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, really? Yeah, and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And of course, what our Lord there is referring to is the number of prophets throughout the ages and the centuries who were... uh, were persecuted, were in some cases tortured, in some cases martyred because of their, of their faith in the coming Messiah and talking about Jesus at that time was in the Old Testament and so forth. Now, I said I want to show you uh, uh, the, same, the same verses in a, what we call a paraphrase from the Message Paraphrase Bible. And just watch this. You'll see how he elucidates a little bit. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. That persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me, me being Jesus. Uh, What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. The Lord says, "I, I like it. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Pretty interesting stuff there. Now, we've got to understand what this means. And the first thing, for me at least, in trying to understand something is I've got to understand what it doesn't mean. 
He's not saying here, blessed are you when you take a political stand that you think is right, and therefore you're persecuted for it. It's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about political stands. He's not saying, blessed are you when, you, when, you're, just, when you're just a fanatic. You know any really fanatics? I mean, he's not saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted for being a fanatic. You know, that's the, a, a fanatic is a person that, you know, oh, my gosh, I found, I found a parking place in the middle of Summit and right in front of the post office. It's Jesus that did that for me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And, and you're listening to this person go on and on and on. And you're like, what? I mean, th- does Jesus provide parking places at the right place in the middle of Summit um, at a busy, busy time? Well, sometimes it seems like it's a godlike thing almost. But the problem with doing that is, what if you don't get a parking place? Then is it God's fault? Hey, you didn't provide me a parking place. What's wrong with you? What did I do wrong? You, you don't get into that. That's fanatical garbage, okay? So he's not saying here, blessed are you when you're a fanatic and people reject that. He's not saying, blessed are you when you're just really dogmatic and people can't handle that. The classic example of the dogmatism type of person is one who says, you better believe the five points of Calvinism. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Don't even Google it, okay? Um, you, you, bless are you when you don't know the five points of Calvinism because if you don't know that, you know, he's not, he's not, if you don't know that, you're going to go straight to hell. You will not pass go. You will not collect $200. Uh, he's not saying blessed is that person. That person's a nut. I'm glad they're studying. I'm glad they know what the five points of Calvinism is, but we can all disagree on certain things, you know, that aren't necessarily true or may not be true. He's not saying blessed are those who are just obnoxious. And come on, we all know that, don't we? There are people who love Jesus, who are just sweet as they can be when it comes to being Christians, but they're just obnoxious. They're just difficult people. You're not saying blessed are you. You know, so many times I've heard people over the years say, oh man, or pastor, I'm being persecuted because of my faith. And I'll say, well, tell me about it. One guy says, well, my job, I got, my, I got fired because, 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 because my boss says I talk about Jesus too much. So aren't I being persecuted for my, for my faith? Excuse me. And, I, and, and, and I'm like, well, how hard did you work? And he said something like, what does that got to do with anything? I said, that's my problem right there, Okay. So, so, so my, my point, real simple, and let me, let me, I think my point best can be wrapped up with a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you're thinking, if you've been here, for every time I've talked about the Sermon on the Mount, you probably are thinking, well, he's quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones every time I have. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones has the quintessential book. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and, and when we first started this series, way back when, first started preparing for it, Treth and uh, uh, Chris, Trethaway, myself, Clay, we were, we were bouncing emails around. Does anybody know? You know, I had the book, a hard copy, but they were, we were asking, does anybody, can, can you get it online? Can you get it on the, for your iBooks or for your, uh, on your Kindle app? And you couldn't. So I went to the Kindle place, and they said, you can order this book. Well, I wouldn't order it. So I wrote them a little long thing. Hey, I want this on Kindle. This is the greatest book ever. You know, I did my typical exaggeration thing. Now, this is the greatest book ever. You don't have this book. You just could maybe die and, and be, be unhappy forever. All kinds of stuff. A week later, Kindle came out with the book. So I'm taking credit for it. So, so I'm taking total credit for it. So when you go home today and you want to get the book Sermon on the Mount by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, 
Go to your Kindle, your Kindle, your Kindle app on your iPad, and you can just say, thank you, Lord, and thank you, Rich. I got it here on my, on my, anyway, I, I digress there too much. Uh, anyway, here's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great, great theologian, great, just a great man of God, mentor of mine, even though I never met him. Here's what he says, and I think he says it best. This does not say blessed are those who are persecuted because they are objectionable, <laughs> or blessed are those who are having a hard time in their Christian faith because they're difficult. <laughs> they're being difficult. There's no need for one to elaborate on this, but so often one has known Christian people who are suffering mild persecution entirely because of their own folly, because of something either in themselves or in what they are doing. And we can bring endless suffering upon ourselves. We can create difficulties for ourselves which are quite unnecessary because we have some rather foolish notion of witnessing and testifying or because in a spirit of self-righteousness we really do call it down on our own heads. My point that I want you to see as we enter this, this passage is don't be a jerk and then say, oh, I'm being persecuted before my, because of my faith. You're being persecuted because you're a jerk, okay? You may also be a Christian. And by the way, there are Christian jerks. I don't know if you know that or not, but there are. And um, so that's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about persecution that comes because of righteousness. He says it very clearly. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So what is this righteousness? What is this righteousness that we're persecuted for? What is it? I've elus- I've, 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 excuse me, not, I didn't lose it. I, um, I got four points here, very simple, and, I, and I've, I've um, made them all start, start with a C, you know, so I've alliterated them um, so that you can see what, what they are, and maybe that'll help you. I kind of like alliteration. Maybe it'll help, maybe it won't. I don't know. But it's four things, very simple things, very simple concepts, but it's all about what righteousness is, okay? First one is it's about the cross, it's about the cross. That's my first C. It's about the cross. It's, it's living in the shadow of the cross. Let me show you this. Um, the apostle talks about this in Romans chapter 10. Just kind of read along with me. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Watch this. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. In the presence of God, He'll never be put to shame because He's trusted in Christ. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When one comes to faith, and we, we, I, you hear us talk about it, you hear me talk about it, you hear all of us talk about this, this coming to faith in Christ, becoming a person of faith, crossing the line of faith, whatever, however you want to say it. This happens when one comes to the realization that Jesus came to earth, he lived, he suffered, he died, and then he rose again on the third day. And he did that. I'm, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to speak for you. I'll speak for myself. He did that for me. I should die a million deaths just for the sins that I've committed and will commit. 
unfortunately. Some of them are future tense, darn it. Um, and you, we all should die a thousand deaths for the sins that we've all committed. Jesus came and he died one time for all time. And by, my, by putting my faith in that, what we call substitutionary death, of Jesus, he was my substitute, then I become a follower of Christ. And something else happens. I, I, am given a, a, I am giving a cover of what we call righteousness. I become righteous. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, I know you, Rich, and you are not righteous. Well, you're right. I'm not all the time. Sometimes I am. I have my good moments, but I have a lot of bad moments. All right? so, but righteousness isn't just practical. It's also positional. So that when God looks upon Rich Teeters, he doesn't see all the garbage I do, and I do a lot of garbage, okay? He doesn't look at all that. He sees Jesus, not because I'm Jesus, but because I've trusted in Jesus. And he sees all, all of the virtue of Christ when he looks at me, not because I have all those virtues all the time because I don't, but because I've trusted in Christ. And so when he looks at me, he doesn't see all my, my imperfections and my brokenness and, and dirt baldness. That's not a word, but I'll make it up. He doesn't see all that. He sees the righteousness that is there because I've trusted in Jesus. And the same is true for you. That's righteousness. That's where it comes from. It's called positional righteousness. The practical stuff hopefully happens over a period of time. And hopefully as I, as I grow in my faith and as I, as I mature in the years and so forth, I become more and more righteous. But you're never going to be perfect, not in this life, because you're still a broken vessel. But when God looks at us, he sees when we've trusted in Jesus, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means to become a person of faith. And that, that's, that's hugely important. So, so we talk about this. These people, these, righteous, these people who be persecuted for their righteousness, this righteousness, number one, it's all about the cross. It's living in the shadow of the cross. That's bugging me to death right there. And you're fixing to see me sin in just a minute. Um, <clears throat> I've been in the South. You're fixing? You like that? Yeah. And then for two weeks, it catches on after a while. Um, but, but when he sees me, he sees me, he sees this righteousness, okay? Not mine, but that of Jesus. Because the virtue of Jesus is imputed to me as a believer in Christ. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. I can't take credit for that. It's just, it's just faith in Christ. That's what it means to be a person of faith. That's what it means to live in the shadow of the cross, all right? That's the first thing for these 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 people who have this righteousness that's about the cross. Number two, it's about consistency. It's the second C that I got for you here. It basically, when I talk about it's talking about living, I'm talking about living with a consistency between what you stand for and what you say and how you live. And this is a huge issue. I read some things recently, and I knew this, but every time I read it, it just disturbs me to no end. They were talking to people who, who don't call themselves Christians, and they were saying, what, what's your number one problem with, with Christ? And you know what the number one problem was? The church and church people. I understand that. I mean, church people will drive a wooden man crazy. I mean, you know, that, that's, just, that's just one of those things. That, 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 not you, of course, but the, those other people out there. Um, but that's one of those things here. It's, it's people, and they see hypocrisy. They see dual standards. They see all this sort of stuff. 
the one thing that we have to understand is we need consistency in our lives between what we believe and what we stand for and how we live and how we treat people and all that goes along with that. St. Francis, I believe, said it the best. He said it this way, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. If I have a creed, that would be it. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. There is a time for words. There is a time when we say, hey, friend, you know about who Jesus is. Now it's, now it's time for you to really think about what are you going to do. Are you going to step up or not? There's a time for words. But there's a whole lot more of a time when we just live it before people. And they're watching. We don't always know they're watching, but they're watching. I tell you this illustration with great trepidation, Okay. Norman, I, 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 I don't mind sharing failures with you. I have a lot more failures than I have victories, so I don't mind sharing those with you. But I'm going to tell you one, a, a good thing that happened to me years ago. And I do so, as I say, with great trepidation because, please, I'm not bragging and I'm not saying look to me and, you know, be like me. I'm not saying anything like that. But this is one of those good moments in life that, that, I, that I had, and, and I look back on it and I'm grateful for it. It's very humbling, and maybe it's happened since. I don't know. But I was in the Army, you know, 19, 1970, I get this nice letter from Uncle Sam. We think you're special. We would love to have you in the military. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Through a whole set of different circumstances, I'm not sure if it was God or just, just coincidental, I end up getting in the reserves, but I still have to go active. And so I got, you got your eight weeks active, uh, your first your eight weeks of basic training for first thing, which is just, I mean, it's just, I'm just going to say, it's just hell on earth, basically. And they go out of their way to make it that way, and especially in those days, because a lot of those guys were going to be headed to Vietnam, and, and uh, you know, they just, they just, you know, they call you everything but a man, they treat you like trash, and, and feed you dirt. I mean, basically, that's what it amounts to. And um, I was about halfway, you know, one thing I could always find, I found out I could always go to church on Sunday morning. I was a believer, and I wanted, I needed the sustenance, I needed to go, just for my own soul, and, and plus, it was, <laughs> at that time, one of the few things that made me feel like a human being because nothing else was happening that made you feel like a human. And um, I got to go into chapel, and I got to know the chaplain, and I would help out any way I could, take an offering, set up stuff, and help in the evenings. When we'd have a little evening, I'd get away, and we'd have, they'd have little snacks. They didn't know how. I, he probably did know. Those snacks were better than what we'd get six days a week the rest of the time. Um, anyway, um, I got to know the chaplain really well, Chaplain Cohen. I still remember his name. Isn't that amazing? can't remember what happened last week, but I remember the name of the chaplain in 1970. Um, and, um, and we just became friends. And I would, whenever I get the chance, particularly on Sunday, we would spend a little time together before or after church and so forth. And this is long before I'm a pastor, just so you, just so you know. I'm a disc jockey at that time. And an um, uh, army guy at that time. But anyway, um, one day we're talking. It's about three or four weeks into basic training, eight weeks long. He says, do you know so-and-so? And I said, uh, you know, I know that name. I think I know him. He said, well, he's in your barracks. And I said, I mean, there's 60 people in your barracks, okay? You're sleeping with 60 guys. That's another story. Can you believe it? Guys are gross, man. I mean, they are just disgusting. (laughs) Anyway, um, he's in your barracks. And I'm like, great, okay. And and he says, he he just, did you know he just became a Christian? And I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, well, I want to tell you about it. I want to go out. And he went out of his way to tell, tell me the whole story. He said, he came in to see me. And he said, I don't know what Rich Teeters has, but whatever it is, I want it. And I was just like, I was like frozen in my, I couldn't believe that. I was just humbled and amazed. 
And you know what the first thing I thought about was? I wonder if he saw me do this. <laughs> I wonder if he saw me lose it over here. I wonder if he saw, I wonder if he heard that, the, those words that I uttered over there. You know, I, I, you immediately start thinking of all the things in the last three or four weeks that you've done bad, and there were plenty. Um, but it was one of those moments where you just kind of have an old, old Lord type of moment. Thank you, Lord, first of all. He didn't see the bad stuff. And the other thing is, there is something to this striving to have consistency with what you believe and who you say you are, and I've always been very vocal about that, and how you live. And that's what this is talking about when we talk about this righteousness here. Yes, it's about the cross, but it's also about consistency. I would ask you, when you hear that preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words, do you preach the gospel at work, at school, in your neighborhood, at your club, without ever saying anything? By how you live, by how you treat people, by values that are discussed. It's a tough issue. We're not perfect. We can be authentic, but we're not perfect. But we need, we, we need to understand there needs to be some level, some degree of consistency in our lives as well. Third thing that I want you to see. Yes, it's about the cross. It's about consistency. It's about convictions. Third, third seed, it's about convictions. Here's the thing. These people who are righteous have a strong set of convictions. I want to explain convictions. Um, you look it up in the dictionary, and I looked it up several times. You come away with a lot of different definitions. The biggest one usually is something that, that you did wrong and you were convicted of by the court. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Um, for our purposes, let me put it to you this way. A conviction is a belief that you have arrived at after prayer, thought, meditation. It's based on scriptural truth, but not clearly stated. Let me explain. There are many things in the Bible that are clearly wrong. We, we understand that. It's wrong to lie, to steal, to cheat, to kill people, to bully people. We know that it's clearly wrong in the Bible. And if we do any of those things, we seek God's forgiveness. But there are a number of things that the Bible doesn't clearly state. And let me give you a verse, because I want to show you an example of someone who, who forms, you don't have to agree with this, and I'm not asking you to, but I want you to give you an example of someone who, who, who forms a conviction based on Scripture. This is uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think... Some Bibles read calculate. Some Bibles read dwell on such things as these. Be careful, in other words, what goes into your mind. That's what he's telling us there. Now, I know people who come away with this, and they say there are certain things that I won't watch on television or in movies or I won't read. And, 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 and here's why. It's their personal conviction. I have a friend, for instance, who, like me, has Sports Illustrated. And, 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 and whenever, it, whenever the swimsuit edition goes, he'll just throw it in the, in the trash can. I get it on here. And you'll notice that if you, and you can look at my iPad, you'll notice in my Sports Illustrated app that the, the, the swimsuit edition is not downloaded. Well, it could be because I don't have enough RAM, but that, 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 that's, that's, hopefully it's for the altruistic. Now, there are certain things I don't need to dwell on. There are certain things I don't need to feed my mind with. And that's where they come. Now, 
What about the guy who does? And he gets Sports Illustrated, and he doesn't think anything about it. This is a personal conviction. This isn't clearly stated in, in the Bible. I, I, I have friends, for instance, maybe you've heard of it, uh, this, 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 this vampire. This whole vampire thing, I don't get it. And um, I don't like vampires, and, and I don't even like the thought of vampires. I have friends who just love this show on HBO, um, True Blood. Is that right? True Blood. I have other friends who say, I would never watch that. I tried watching it for three minutes one time, and gosh, you know, I, I concluded, and my wife came in, I said, she said, what's going on there? And I'm like, you know, I don't know, but I don't think I need to watch vampire sex, whatever else is going on, you know? I just don't think that's probably something that needs to be plugged into my mind. Now, listen, does that mean my friends who like True Blood or other things like that, does that mean they're wrong? See, here's, here's the issue here. We can have... And I've, I've got it in writing here, and I want to make sure you get this thing, get this thing straight here. We, we develop certain strong convictions without being judgmental. What happens in churches over and over and over again, a guy like me, one of the pastors or one of the leaders, develops a personal conviction that I shouldn't read the New York Post Okay? That great, great, healthy newspaper that it is. And then all of a sudden, this is his personal... That's fine if he wants to have that conviction. But then he says, and neither should you. Now I got a problem. Because I didn't pray and meditate and think over this. Or maybe I did and I came to a different conclusion. These are things that aren't clear. But they're clear in my mind. Not for somebody else. By the way, this is a great teaching moment for those of you who still have children at home. It's a great moment for them to learn how to develop their own convictions. And, and by the way, as I, can, I can attest to this. As those children grow and become adults themselves, you may not agree always on the same convictions, even though you've taught them a certain way. That's okay, as long as they're arriving at those convictions through prayer and thought, understanding of Scripture, and they, and they arrive at it themselves together. That's okay. So, so the issue here is these people who have this righteousness not only have the, the, the cross in which they are just living at the shadow of the cross, not only have the, the consistency that is so important to their life, but they have convictions that they have, not, not that's been thrown at, that they have arrived at on their own, and, and, and they're following that. And you need to have those. Not for somebody else but for you. And you don't need to look down on somebody who disagrees with you on some of these convictions. And they do download the swimsuit edition of, of Sports Illustrated or whatever it might be. You don't look down on them. You assume that they have arrived at the same conviction they have through prayer, thought, and the understanding of Scripture. And we just came with different conclusions, you know? So it's about the cross. It's about convictions. It's about consistency. It's about convictions. Fourth thing. Four, this is just huge. It's about clarity. This is, this is just, I, I, I purposely put this number four because I think it wraps everything up. It's about the clarity of the priorities of life, okay? It's, it's clarity with that. It, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a life of faith more than anything else that I believe gives us um, limitless, th- th- this whole thing of being a follower of Christ gives us limited, uh, excuse me, unlimited opportunities to get sidetracked. And yet it still comes down to this priority is one thing. I'll never forget um, just a little passing moment here. Years ago, I'm, most, those of you who know me know that there's two things that matter to me in football season. 
One is the Alabama Crimson Tide. They're ranked number one this year. And, and the other is the Denver Broncos in the NFL. And, um, and they will, the Broncos will win. I'm saying it right here, right now, and I'm on tape. The Broncos will win the Super Bowl this year. Count it. Mortgage the house. Mortgage the second house. Put all your money on it. And give half of that to the church when it comes through. But if it doesn't come through, don't blame us, okay? I'm just saying that, okay? Um, but, but, but the Broncos, my team, and I remember years ago, um, Elway was our quarterback, John Elway, and, and uh, we were playing the Steelers. And I'll never forget this game. It's one of these things that just stand, stand out in your brain. And um, if you're not a football fan, just bear with me a moment. Um, Elway comes back, and they do a trick play. He comes back, and he passes, boom, this way. And, and, and he, he's got to pass to the, to the halfback or the running back that's, that's, that's either even with him or behind him. You can't have two forward passes in football. So he comes back, and he goes, boom, like that. And then that, and then that, that running back comes back and just, boom, throws a long bomb. And uh, they, we, I think we had like an 85-yard touchdown. And then the flags fly everywhere. The refs come out of the woodwork. And, and all you see for the next, what seemed like 10 minutes, it probably wasn't that long. And this was before replay and all that other kind of stuff. All you see for 10 minutes is John Elway running around the field, going to every ref like this, like, you know, just walking around like, like a crazy man, like this, with his finger up in the air, index finger. His index finger. One, one, you know, one, 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 like this. And I don't know, what's he doing? And then after the, after the game, they do the, the press conference, and, and they ask him, well, what were you saying? He said, I'm walking. I want every ref in that place to know I got one job. I got one job. That's to make sure that guy is behind me. Do you think I would mess that up? I got one job here. I love that. Never forgot that image. Folks, as believers, I'm going to just take this over here. Just for a moment. We have one job. We have one thing we got to do. One thing. And that's what this clarity does for us. You know what that is? It comes from the words of our Lord himself. Matthew 22, one of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important, <laughs> what is the most important commandment of the law? And Jesus does this. He goes like this, one thing. I, I think he did one thing. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. Oh, and by the way, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. We got one thing, folks. One thing. Not about straightening out the world. Not about changing the political system. Not about the love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. It's one thing. These righteous, righteous people, and I hope you're one or seeking to be one. It's about the cross. It's about consistency. It's about conviction. And it's about clarity, the one thing. You say, well, Rich, you really haven't touched on the being persecuted part. You know, listen, in the world we live in, in this country, God bless us all. We're probably not going to have to deal with what the pastor in Iran is dealing with that you've read about probably in the news and how he's being, been arrested and his wife is now being arrested and put in jail because of the preaching of the gospel. Probably, we're probably not going to have to deal with what some of the folks in China are dealing with every Sunday morning. Some of the people in, in one province being arrested for a gathering together to worship Jesus. We're probably not going to have to deal with that. Thank God. We're probably not going to, I mean, you know, when you look, at, you look at history, you look at Thomas Beckett, Archbishop of Canterbury, infuriated King Henry II. He was murdered in the Canterbury um, Cathedral by the orders of the king. 
Thomas More. We know what happened to him because he went against King Henry VIII. Joan of Arc, Oxford, the Oxford Martyrs, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley. These are great people in history who paid the ultimate price for their faith. We're probably not going to have to do that. Probably not in this country. You know, the worst thing that might happen to us, we might be ostracized. We might be discriminated against and not get into a particular social circle or, or maybe not even in a particular club that we want to get into. And, and listen, I understand that that can hurt. That can, that can cause pain and, and tears. Obviously, it's nothing to what some of these other people do. But here's the question. We live in a great country, and that's probably, we're not going to probably be persecuted for our faith. But here's the question. Do people see a difference in your life? Do they see a difference? So that if it ever came to that, they would say, yeah, mark her down, mark him down. They definitely are believers. I can just, they, they've never said anything. I can just tell by the way they live. Do they see a difference because you're a follower of Jesus? That's the key here. The bar is not set very high, folks. The issue is those that I work with, those that I play with, those that are in my club, wherever I happen to hang out, do they know, yeah, he's different, she's different because of their faith in Christ and the righteousness. They wouldn't say it like this, but the righteousness that is there. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for the opportunity to think about and to dwell on these incredibly important truths. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your forgiveness. And thank you for Jesus, who gives us the ability to have the righteousness, certainly from your perspective, that we so desperately need, and the forgiveness that we need even more. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here, and uh, God bless, and have a great rest of the day, all right? God bless.